This is Season 6, Episode 5, Decolonize to Thrive with Ella Noah Bancroft. Ella, welcome to the podcast. Morning, how are you? Good. I um, was just thinking it's such a stunning morning here and I was just outside in the sun and feeding the animals and it's my um, daughter's third birthday today and so I was reflecting on this sunrise three years ago and I was thinking as I was going about my morning rituals like how I just wanted to be outside and there would be very few things that would pull me inside and I thought this conversation is the reason I want to go inside <laughs> so I'm really excited to we go how are you feeling how are you today how's your body and how's your world feeling today um good it's like slightly muggy up here outside of byron um and overcast but the birds are chirping and i'm just currently sipping on some hot lemon water and staring out the window at all of the bird life which is just so active in the last month or so around our house and yeah I just heard the magpie come in then and I've got the window open here too to try and capture like all the birds this morning so I think between the two of us maybe we'll just be silent and listen to the birds for 40 minutes and see I think that would be a beautiful podcast too um but I'm wondering just in this season of life what's captivating you and what what you're curious about and, yeah, what you've been exploring this last little while. Um, I guess what's really been alive in me recently is I've been doing a lot of um, fire ceremonies and work with fire and trying to come back to more cultural practices that keep me in the present moment and really trying to honour my ancestors on either side of my lineage and bring forth these ideas and ritual that honour and allow me to feel connected to them because they are things that they once did there. And I'm just learning so much from sitting with fire and I'm also working with a, an elder in the Northern Territory, which has been um, really beautiful. We've been doing fortnightly fire ceremonies together, bringing people together to just be in this this place of nothingness but something it's like the fire is so full of wisdom and magic and beauty and teachings but also it gives us this opportunity to stop and be and in this current climate that we're all in as a global community I feel like fire could be really healing for people to just sit by and to just listen and to watch and to hear what their ancestors say to them through them. You know, the fire keeps telling me, like, I am owned by every human on this earth, every more than human kin. Like, we don't have any ownership of the elements through our cultures, but we are united through them. And it's so so beautiful when we just strip back to the simplicity of that and realise our connection to each other, but also to these really beautiful amazing things that cherish us every day I love that it's so beautiful to hear 
you move directionally when we last connected a couple of months ago through a webinar series you were dancing a lot with the water element and journeying with devotion around that and now to hear you dancing with fire is so um I really resonate with that idea of presence and how it brings us back right into somethingness and nothingness all at the same time and I've been not so much with fire but on a bit of a journey with the sun recently and I feel that what the fire shared with you I feel very resonant with what I've been feeling through the sun is that um how biologically and physiologically and evolutionarily the sun has supported and touched each of us and I think yeah I think those sacred rituals right now at this time are more important than ever in our activism and um in our daily lives in the sacred every day I guess so um I'm curious more to hear about the fire though what what else have you learned through that experience, particularly um, around your ancestry and and that journey? I was with fire most of the weekend, which was kind of nice, just being in in the the portal and the mystery and uh, the really deep listening to it. And you know what was so alive for me really was that you know all of my ancestors at one point would have sat around fire and sat in circle and been with men or women or only women or only men. And this is something that like collectively every single one of us share. And I think at this current time, what the fire is teaching me to speak or the words to speak is to remind people of that, to remind people of this world where your ancestry was so deeply connected and that if that may not be your reality right now we can still always get back to that place and that we can really I I feel like maybe it could sound a little woo-woo for people you know but you know the water taught me if you lay by the river and you just let your mind just dissipate you can hear those those stories of your ancestors as as water carries memory and in the same way fire is this transformer but it's like the same fires that we're lighting in this closed system same fires that sparked hundreds of thousands of years ago the same fires that we're lighting even though we may be putting them in different places and for me I just find it so it's it's like the only thing I need to be moving towards is calming my nervous system and ceremony and the elements do that to me. And, you know, I want to ensure that my body is in a place of really like deep rest and I'm with the fire. I feel that. And I feel the force of that protection. And I also feel the power in many people lighting fires together collectively in prayer um, you know, in, in a fire pit or with a, you know, <laughs> not just lighting fires, but, you know, lighting them with, with intention and really honouring this element of the sacred fire because, you know, we we also have so much fear, I think, in this culture and especially in Australia given our history with 
um, bushfires of seeing it as this kind of destructive force, but all the elements can be both destructive and healing depending on their intensity, a lot like humans. And I just feel like if we just come back to that place, I know for myself anyway, I'm so healed just through sitting a whole evening and, um, yeah, it's it just teaches me so much. You know, I live outside of Byron, so people are often doing ceremonies here that are, um, you know, including different kinds of um, altered states of being and um, ingesting kind of, you know, medicines that allow them to get there. I just feel like when you're with the fire, you don't need that for me personally. Like I can go into an altered state completely not consuming anything just by being with the fire and really being with the fire and it teaches me so much teaches me about my impatience when you know it's been a few hours and I'm like oh my god I need to go to bed or you know the mind starts to play these tricks on your um your capabilities I guess um and every time I sit with fire I just feel stronger and stronger in myself in my knowing in my in my purpose and um in my path it's so like as you're talking what's happening is this um rhetoric that we have around the fire being transformational and rage and rah you know is is soothed because I'm remembering in my body like the coals and the simmering fire and the gentle like tiny whisper of a fire that started that you get at the start you know all these different as you said intensities and I really feel that soothing like nature of it um as you're talking which is such a beautiful reminder um and I love what you said about that your nervous system and and being in a deep state of rest is really your intention right now in this season and I'd be really curious to hear your reflections on why that's so important within your activism work, but also just as a human being working toward a regenerative future, why that's um, so vital and life-giving. Yeah, I mean, I think by nature I am not still all quiet or <laughs> soft or, or restful. And, you know, it's really been a lot of work for me to start integrating practices into my life that allow myself to slow down. And I still find it very difficult. You know, I, I am um, I'm a very active mind, active body, do lots of things in my community. And I'm also an extroverted, so I'm charged by that space as well. But I do recognise that it's not a sustainable way to be. And I've had a few moments just within, you know, the last 12, 18 months where I've just felt that precipice of what it could be like to be on the burnout and and feeling that, you know, I'm not a superhero and that I need to actually take care of my body, even though I just want to be in the outward lens of taking care of my community and the land and always be do, do, do and go, go, go. Um, so it's been like an internal battle for sure, but I think something that really it was really amazing when you know COVID first happened and it kind of felt like the world just like stood still and last night I was talking with my partner and we were just saying you know that there's all these like 
overcomplicated solutions for our current situation in the world, whether that be COVID or climate change. But what would actually happen if we all just like stayed in our houses, put the car keys away for a month, just walked around our neighborhoods, didn't travel anywhere, got off all of our electricity? Like there, there are these solutions embedded already alive and here that I don't think we need to create more I think sometimes we can be too complex in our thinking as humans you know and and I reflect upon that for myself as well and so really trying to like honor the earth by sitting and being still and being in a more space of like I don't need to go everywhere I don't need to be everywhere Um, it's just enough for me to you know even get my bike and I'm really thankful to live in a beautiful little community and we do sunset bike rides and that that fills me you know it fills me so much to just be able to do that and then come back and trying to be in this state of rest and yeah I'm really toying with this idea of how um solution orientated our our society is and how I see that play out in my own life and in my relationships and this need to always want to fix what's outside of myself and somehow thinking that in that way I will fix you know myself but really in order to fix everything that's out of balance I just need to be still um I need to put my phone away and not be on the computer and just be okay even just pottering around my garden, which is one of my favourite things to do, but because of my outwardness, I find very little time to do it. I fundamentally believe, like, that is the antidote, you know. I think that if we're going to talk about regeneration, it has to come with the conversation of, like, who we need to be to create, to make those decisions or to create those solutions or whatever it may be. Like, who do we need to be? How do we need to be? How do we need to be with each other? And I think that so often those problems that we're trying to fix or the complexity that we weave in comes from an incorrect problem analysis. Like, we're we're not getting the root cause correct because we're not really willing to acknowledge, for example, the deeply entrenched ways that colonial capitalism like runs our lives or runs our nervous systems or runs our relationships. I think that it's easy to be like, oh, solar panels or, oh, you know, um, big green energy companies and rather than looking within and saying, why do I need to consume and why do I want to extract and why do I want to, Um, put others down and you know all of these really hard questions that come up when we as you said stop being outward and start sitting by fires (laughs) and real discomfort and agitation do you kind of agree with that yeah yeah and I you know I recognize that everybody's journey is so different too and that the way that I'm you know often looking at the world and seeing our society is actually just a reflection of my own internal programming and the work that I've you know done to see how um Australian society and culture has impacted me along with also my Indigenous culture um, which have both been so prevalent in raising me. Mm. Yeah, and my mind just went in about 50 different directions. But I, um, I want to talk about, I guess, from that state of deep rest, 
and the states that follow that, the mind states and the relational states and, you know, what what is possible if that's the baseline for many of us or not even the baseline but that we can journey back to that state again and again, I think. What do you think is possible for us in our work, in our activism, in our community work, but also maybe more broadly, like what is a vision that you're working toward? I'm, I'm, I'm really working towards kind of what we've been speaking about is really inspiring people to look around what they have locally and see if they can find the joy and beauty in the places that they currently are. And by that, I mean, you know, we're, we've had a global community for so long where accessibility to travel has been, um, you know, for our generation, very easy to just jump on a plane, go to the other side of the world, experience all of these things. But, I mean, COVID has just taught me so much about the the power in staying in place and building community. You know, already I live in a place that's so strong with community and it's only gotten stronger through our inability to have to leave, all of us, you know. And we're we're creating new systems in many ways here because we're realising that in order to live in you know, a local way, um, we need to be able to rely on each other. And a lot of my work right now is kind of untangling how I'm resting on the economic system or what my mind believes around that. And, you know, I go in and out of that for (laughs) so many different thought patterns. And, you know, I just keep coming back to home, which is that, like, this land in which I live, I'm also so fortunate to have bloodlines too, which makes me feel so strongly I belong here. But that's not what makes me belong here. It's actually how I relate to this natural world in my community. And I really am hoping to bring people on that journey with myself and inspire others around the country as well to to look at what beauty lays in our backyard. You know, we're so often, I think, um, as a as a colonized country, looking for answers in different places, but like I I try to remind people, the same waters that I sit by on the ocean is the same waters that my ancestors in Scotland and England would have swam and played and been in because the waters of this world are all intertwined. You know, whether they are fresh or salt water, we all get to no matter where we have been displaced around this globe we all get to experience the waters that our ancestors have experienced. And, you know, that's a really powerful, powerful concept. And But it's also real. It's, it's, it's the closed system we live in. The, the earth that we all get to walk on is the same planet that our ancestors walk on. And so how can we find belonging and beauty in the places that we're in right now? How can we look after the, that land and really become strong custodians and take the time to build these powerful relationships. You know, I, I think about the way, you know, I'm in relation with the natural world and it's been such a journey for me in my adult life to really, to really reconnect because everything in, in the mainstream and dominant society is kind of built to, to make 
people disconnect and to make people, yeah, have a false illusion of connection. But my relationship with nature has been like my relationship with my mother in many ways, you know, I've needed that separation. I've needed to feel like, no, I don't need you and um, I need my independence or I don't need to have a strong relationship with you. And in my adult life just realised, oh, you know, I need to be spending quality time with both of my mothers. I need to be loving them, you know, the way that I would expect to be loved by a lover or by a mother. And I need to be, you know, giving them touch in my hands and all of these things. And I really do see the natural world as a reflection of our relationship with our own birth mothers, you know, the way that we relate to that, that space and those beings that bring us through, um, and I, I feel like that's a lot of the work of finding our way home is really through that portal of our mothers or whoever was our caretakers, the people that raised us, um, and also recognising that the waters raised you and, you know, the jog in the country raised you, the air raised you and the fires raised you too, even if you did live in urban areas because, you know, fire is behind a lot of the stuff in which we use in our household. It's so beautiful thinking about that relationship um, with the mother and I can see how at the start of my reconnection there was a lot of ambivalence. Like I was reflecting on how much longer it's taken to be, to feel that belonging to life um, than I ever thought it would, you know, because I think you move in and out of infatuation with it according to however your state is and I think that definitely reflects my relationship with my own mother which is one of uncertainty of never knowing not having that consistency you know and I can see why there was caution there and but now both the relationships I have with my mother and the natural world are very um trusting and opening and there's no um entitlement to to a certain quality of love it's just reverence when I'm in in their company and I just love that so much it reminded me I was walking yesterday or a couple of days ago and the grass is really long here the native grasses have come back because the cattle's been taken off the property behind us and so now we get to walk in these huge wild pastures and it's so beautiful and my hand was kind of running over the top of the heads of the grasses which are starting to turn yellow and I saw the most beautiful fox and I've never seen her before I've seen others and I know where their holes are but I'd never seen this one and she was young and so it's the evening sun and she was so vibrant red and orange and white and so alive like every fiber of her being was alive she must have been hunting rabbits or something and I just had that moment of like you know those moments where you're in such pristine presence and utter reverence and it almost brings you to tears you know the like how could it be this beautiful and that and how do I get to witness that? You know, it's just, um, you just reminded me of that moment. Mm. I'm really grateful for. Um, what's the role of embodiment in this? Because I, I know you work with Helena and I, and I am on 100% the same page about local futures and new economies and not 
and sufficiency and reciprocity and not needing more all the time and healing that within us. But how do you think embodiment plays into this? Like do we need to be in our bodies to be in place and be in relationship, do you think? And what's been your journey with that? I mean, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) I think um, we're raised as a culture, especially in the mainstream through our education system, to exist and live through the analytical mind. Um, uh, to really ignore our body and and the subtle ways in which it speaks to us or the not-so-subtle ways. Um, and I believe that there's there's a real lacking of, of two quite massive things that make up who we are as humans, which is our spirit and our body. And this modern-day society has forgotten to teach us how to be in both our spirit and with our body and in many ways I think that journey back to our body and back to our spirit is our journey back to the natural world is our journey back to waking to the fact that we have everything we need it's that journey back to calming the nervous system you know it's it's so vital and important and you know my my beautiful partner is a somatic um um, dance teacher and she's just taught me so much about the power of embodiment and and the power of your body actually being able to change your mind you know when you're in a state of dance you know you get into a state of this trance like way where all thoughts leave and I think that's really what what we need to be kind of aiming for is that when we can be in a place where the thoughts don't come you know I think we've been fed a bit of a false illusion that ideas 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 we need to have them constantly go 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 mind always going you know without realizing the repercussions of having a mind that's constantly ticking over and impacting um you know health and well-being and also when the mind is always chattering like there isn't space to have a conversation with the spirit or the body and so yeah I definitely think embodiment and 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 spiritual practices that get us more grounded and back into a place of trying to I guess bring balance to those three things because the mind is powerful and we do need it and so is the body and so is the spirit but if we're not holding each of them in equal parts you know we're we're imbalanced with what the natural world has created us to be. I'm thinking about how we would work right like I'm thinking a lot about similar to you how do I unhook from the economic conditioning but I'm also thinking about like what and then what would work in air quotes be and I'm curious as you've made that healing journey how has your creative process and your work in air quotes process changed and what have you come to learn about your own seasons and cycles? Because I think that this idea of the eternal summer and the eternal harvest and like so many of us want to opt out but there's this feeling that we can't afford to, right, and I I really hear that. I really get that. I remember that state in my nervous system and I, and I still go through it, cycles of it, right, of scarcity and like, oh, fuck, I can't, you know, 
um, don't know where the food's going to come from this week or where my kid's going to get juice or whatever. Mm. How do we continue to challenge those while also staying safe, do you think? Well, I mean, I guess I just preface this by saying that I'm I'm not a mother and so the world is such a different place in this society for any woman who has children. And I recognize that. And, you know, I recognize that it's, it's quite easy and simple for me to make choices to not consume because I'm just a single cell organism. You know, I'm not operating with a um, extra, extra beings that I have to take care of. So, I just want to say that first because I recognize all the hard work that every woman and man does in raising a child in this very harsh economic society, which does tend to force us to do, um, you know, all kinds of different works that make us step out of our integrity or, you know, fall into scarcity mindset. I guess for me, I, I'm quite fortunate in that I've just never really been somebody that's worried about not having enough and I'm unsure whether this imprinting has come from being raised like on the land and off-grid you know quotation marks before off-grid was trendy with my mother and my brother when I was quite a young age um we you know we lived in a in a very very humble (laughs) I would say like two-bedroom shack um, with no electricity and a water pump that pumped up, you know, the creek that was down the road, um, down the river from us. And that's how we got our water source. And we were an hour and 20 minute drive from any kind of shop. And so having this kind of upbringing and this imprint, you know, what, what my mother did to both me and my brother, I think is that she didn't even realize she was doing it, but made us so confident to know that we, everything we need in the world is already here. Mm. And in that way, it's so powerful. And I will forever be so devoted to my mother for giving us both that experience because we are so fortunate, both me and him to, you know, never get wrapped up in these ideas of not having enough. And I'd also like to preface that I'm definitely not wealthy. You know, I live in a share house with three people. Um, I'm 33. You know, I have a beaten down car and I have no assets, you know, but it's not that that isn't what I see in life as something that I need. And also, again, I don't have children or family yet. And so all of this may and I'm sure will change once that happens but for me I think you know moving into spaces of of really this deep relation and connection with nature is ways that we can unpack the programming of scarcity um I work at several you know community farms in the area and what we're always faced with is an abundance of of food like actually too much food that the land is so fertile up here we're like we're like oh my god we don't even know what to do with this harvest like we need to start ripping the plants out because there's too much stuff to to actually be eating you know and when you realize that in deep relation and in, in an embodied way that you can just you can save seeds and then you can put those seeds in the ground and then those seeds will grow into food that you can eat and share with everybody. You know, I think it starts to eliminate this idea of, um, 
needing the system also. Yeah. You know, a big part of my path has been recognizing what do I want for my life and for my, you know, unborn children? I want a life of self-reliance. And in order to do that, I'm going to be making choices in every moment to ensure I'm either educating myself on how to become more self-reliant, making choices on how to become more connected, making choices on um, how to be an active community member. And I would say that the third one is also a great eliminator for, for, not for for the scarcity mindset but also for for not feeling alone you know like I've experienced some some cathartic events this year and you know in that time the people that caught me weren't just my family it was a whole community like hundreds of people you know and the beauty in my work is that I may not get paid a lot of money, but I show up time and time again to do things for trade for um, free. You know, I say free, but it's not free because there's a reciprocity relationship, but not monetary exchange. Um, I do all of these things because I see the benefits of them. I also see how my community uplift me because of that work, because they see the generosity in my heart. And I guess, you know, that is a, another antidote to scare is generosity the more we give the more we get and it can be really hard in in this world you know to really trust that you're going to get back what you need but um, my advice would be in time yes absolutely you know like growing a garden it takes time to germinate seeds it takes time for the fruits of those trees to start blossoming but once they start they never stop you know and so it's just about spending a little bit extra time maybe not taking that or spending a bit more time making sure you're cultivating your compost or making sure your soil is good and just ensuring that all of these things are set in place by the time you put the seeds so that the fruits can just continue and continue to continue to come Mm, I love that so so much it's it's um really on my heart today and I was saying to someone yesterday um she does similar work to us and she was saying she's never had less financially and we're kind of the same like we've probably never had less I don't and I don't want to glorify a nervous system state of a martyrdom or or um being feeling so unsafe that that you're putting your well-being at risk it's not I don't think it's that but what you're talking about of sufficiency of embodying sufficiency and we were both reflecting on how rich we are relationally Mm. how rich we are um, in terms of our relationship with the natural world how rich we are in skills with our hands now rather than just commodifying and selling knowledge and our mind and all of that wealth is to me actually like the sustenance like the nutrients you know the the money is like a fast food but that is the that is the fat and the protein and the nourishment to me and I think that the future that you speak of and how to move toward it kind of one step at a time the seed or the compost or the just the walk out in the bush um 
my experience is that it starts to compound at a certain point and then you'll turn around and realise how, how much reciprocity there is and how much your threshold for having less has increased, if that makes sense. It's like a double negative, but you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, totally. And, you know, your point is so true because I'd felt this a lot when I was younger, you know, living out um, very close to the mission where I went to school with all my Indigenous family and, you know, the perception by the people that lived in town in Grafton was that, you know, we were all poor, but it's like you said, we were actually rich. We were rich in culture. We were rich in connection. We were rich in deep community and reciprocity. And so therefore no one would ever be poor. You know, there would never be anybody that couldn't walk into anybody else's house in the mission and, you know, make a sandwich or, um, you know, grab some water or anything. It's like the, 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 the assets may not be what you see as the success of assets, but what you get in so much more is, is the love and the generosity of being held. And it's shared. It's not owned or um, accumulated. And I think that's such an exciting future. Um, Ella, I've loved this conversation so much and I just really wanted to open the space for you to share or or channel anything else that you feel is really important to share to those who may be listening um, now or in the future, if there's anything else you felt called to share. I think um, right now, you know, what else is alive in me is just I feel really hopeful I feel really hopeful for the future of um, our country, of our globe. I feel that we are on the precipice of of really amazing um, potential system changes here right now and we get to be the people that make those choices, you know. I, I see these two kind of paths laid out in front of me in two directions in which to go and... I guess for me, I'm I am choosing, you know, the one that is earth-based, the one that is slower, the one that is community orientated, the one that looks like nourishing, beautiful food that comes from our earth. And what I'm rejecting is, you know, the techno future, really, and the one where our food is going to be made in labs and um, there will be screens and AI technology everywhere. And I feel like few years ago everybody was you know really screaming for system change and now we're seeing um in this this point in time that 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 we have an opportunity to really make that system change and I guess what I would urge everybody to do is don't wait for this to be top down I think if we know anything is that the only way we can make change is from bottom up um so support grassroots communities that are looking after the land that are stepping away from screens that are educating our kids to be in nature that are building deeper connections and um do that in your own self and and, and space and see what a life of self-reliance can look like with a community as well. Mm. Such a beautiful words to finish. Thank you so, so much for your time and wisdom. You're welcome. Thanks for chatting.